The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fifth chapter. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boat to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus, the gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. Well, it's good to be here with you this Youth Sunday. I want to I let you all know that immediately following communion, I'm going to sneak out. It's nothing to do with you. I've got to join the bishop at Incarnation for their spirit-led time of renewal, which is the congregational event that you all had some time back. And uh, we try to none of us do that by ourselves for, for a variety of reasons, and part of it is probably accountability. If, if you know either the bishop or me, you'll realize that we probably need people to help us out whenever we talk anywhere. But it's also because uh, we really value partnership, and we value the partnership that we, that we have together. And when we, when we think about what it means to be church, when we think about what it means to be part of the body of Christ, that kind of partnership is at the very heart of it. So one of, the, one of the joyous things that I get to do is to join congregations on Sundays like this, a Youth Sunday when we're talking about what the youth did in Houston to celebrate the, the wonderful energy that youth bring to a congregation to celebrate the ideas and the new things they might bring. And so that's a way we celebrate partnership. But it's not just that we think that the youth are wonderful that, that makes these kind of partnerships so neat. It's not just because we like to not do things alone. But what makes this such an important thing in the church is that it's part of the model of ministry that Jesus gave us. It's part of the very fabric of what it means to be the church together in the name of Jesus. It's part of the very heart of the gospel that none of us are the church by ourselves. And so it's, it's pretty common in our, in our nation today to hear people say, well, I'm, you know, I believe in God, but I worship church in, in the woods, or I worship God in the woods, or I, you know, I see God at the beach, or I see God on my boat, or, you know, there's a number of places that people tell me that they see God or they experience Jesus. And a lot of times, because I'm a pastor, and I, I guess they might feel guilty if they haven't been in church recently, they feel the need to confess. And, and part of that confession is that I... I have a faith that's active even though I don't necessarily go to church. But something that we see time and time and time again in the life of Jesus is that when things are going well, Jesus is in the synagogue. When when times are getting tough, Jesus is in the synagogue. 
even when Jesus is so frustrated with people, and, and I know this is hard to imagine, being frustrated with anybody in church at Good Shepherd. But, but stretch your imaginations that in some other places this could happen. You know, even when Jesus is so frustrated with, with either the church or the leaders of the church or the people in the church or the way they were doing things and he's driving the vendors and the money changers and the, the sellers of animals out of the temple with a whip of cords, Jesus is in church. And even when the scribes and the elders and the chief priests and the Pharisees and, and even his own hometown are crying out for his blood and in the end trying to crucify him or you know, shortly around, sometime around this text that we read today in Luke, trying, his hometown congregation trying to drive him off of a cliff after he preaches his first sermon there. I have to tell you, my reception at my home congregation preaching my first sermon was a little bit better. But I'm, I'm not positive if we're really trying to imitate Jesus, if that was a good thing, right? But, you know, no matter how hard things are and how angry and how hurt and how frustrated everyone is, Jesus was in church. And it's not just because, like, church is a good place. And it's not just because we think it's a good thing to be with this particular group of people. But at the very heart of how Jesus understands ministry, at the very heart of how Jesus understands what it means to be someone who follows God and loves God and lives out the word of God, is this idea of partnership together. Not just being in church, but we see it in the way Jesus sends leaders out as well. Jesus never sends disciples out by themselves. Jesus sends them out two by two. Jesus sends them out in partnership for mutual accountability, for mutual encouragement. Jesus sends them out so that they might be able to have together the strength that comes only from having community, even in a place where they're strangers, right? And so this partnership that we talk about isn't just something that it's really nice to be together. This partnership that we talk about when we talk about being the church, being the body of Christ, being a group of people who is called through water and word and spirit and bread and wine, through the, through the word preached and taught, through the way that we raise each other up to learn our family values and also listen to the young ones so that we might be able to hear the wisdom that God gives them And try to impart to them the wisdom that God gave us. You know, it's part of the very core of our identity that we're together. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. There's only people who follow Jesus in community. And it's such an important dynamic in the Christian faith. That even God does not exist as only one, even though God is one. But we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit a divine community of mutual adoration that is perpetually present, perpetually there, perpetually loving, perpetually powerful, and all the different things that we say about the Trinity. And I'm not going to try to get into all of them because I'm bound to get into heresy, but just know that all those things, that community of love in which the Trinity exists is our model for what it means to live as people of God. And so I remember uh, 1994, when I went to Atlanta with Christus Victor Lutheran Church when I was uh, just after my junior year in high school. And it, it is hot in Houston. It was hot in Atlanta, too. And, and actually, I think Columbia probably gives both of them a run for their money on, on good days, right? I, but I remember there were, uh, I don't know, 32, 36,000 people there who uh, 
in the same way there were in Houston. And one of the wonderful things about the ELCA youth gathering is every three years, this is the largest gathering of our church that happens. Not just, it's not just the largest youth gathering. It is the largest expression of our church that happens ever. 32, 36,000 people all in one place, packed into a stadium, worshiping God and singing songs. You know, in that place, we get to experience the, the mountaintop of what it feels like to be with the body of Christ in one of its fullest expressions. We, we get that experience of what it means that we are not alone in our faith. We get that understanding as we were walking down the streets of Atlanta singing the songs that we were singing. Probably Light the Fire was one of them. You know, we probably sang Sanctuary. I think probably it being 1994, we sang something by Bon Jovi or Backstreet Boy. You know, the holy songs that were part of our narrative. And hearing those songs we sung together was part of our holy faith and holy walk with God too. And we see something else that's important about community in the gospel that that teaches us what our role as the church is. Jesus didn't do his ministry alone either. In all four Gospels, very early on in his ministry, he took considerable time to bring in disciples, to bring in his community. Today we have the story of Jesus gathering his closest friends, his inside circle, Peter, James, and John. And and we see this community formed in a way that makes a difference because one of the very first things we hear about what it means to be human is that it is not good for us to be alone. And so as as we have those experiences like the youth gathering, those are times that might change our lives. I think I might have the first picture of myself wearing a collar taken at the youth gathering back in 1994 because I passed a seminary booth and they had the, the bad idea of letting me try it on and it stuck. But... You know, there are other, other times in our lives when we experience that close community in the presence of God. One of, part of my story of, of experiencing this time in community where I see Jesus is through LCY. When, uh, and I never knew about our Synod's youth group for a long time. You know, I, I grew up at Christus Victor was a mission congregation. And so we were still very much trying to figure out who we were. We were trying to discover the identity of who our congregation is. We, we weren't so much ready at that point to be outside. And then a woman named Grace Weed came, came and became our youth director. And Grace said, Eric, I want you to come to the 11th and 12th grade winter retreat with me. You should come try LCY. And my first response was no. My, actually, my second response was no, too. And it, it was because I didn't know anybody. And, and Grace taught me something about ministry that, that stuck with me. That just because someone says no the first time doesn't mean they don't want to do it. And so she kept after. And finally, I said, "Okay." you know, it's kind of like the story of the unjust judge. It's not that I'm a good man that I'm going to grant your request, widow. But because you've kept pestering me, then I will give you justice. Right. So, Grace, it's not because I want to go to the youth gathering that I'm going to go. But because you've kept pestering me, then I'll go to this retreat. And something really interesting and amazing happened. I I met the people there and Stephanie Stoudemire was one of them. And all of a sudden, I felt like I met my tribe. You know, all of a sudden, I felt like I met my people. And, and this will shock you, those of you who know me. When I was a teenager, I was awkward. And, and sometimes I said too much. And, and sometimes I didn't think very much before I said things. And I know, I told you you'd be shocked, right? And, 
What I found was that even though at school I had this history of people who knew who I was since I was in elementary school, when I got to LCY, all of a sudden I had a, a group of people who, who didn't know the Eric who was the one who clicked his pen all the time during class and tapped his foot and banged on his desk and all the things I did. But I, I had a chance to kind of understand something new about myself. And all of a sudden I found people who cared about me for who I was in a way that I hadn't experienced up until that point in my life. And I found the church. Now, my church was my church. I loved growing up in that congregation. And, and they formed me and molded me and taught me my faith. And I was confirmed there. And I was married there. And I was ordained there. That is my congregation. These are my people. Can you think of the times in your life where you found your people? Those, those people who not only form you and challenge you and mold you and shape you, but... Those people who you know that you're going to keep up with for the rest of your life. You know, we, we talk about church being something that doesn't just happen inside the doors of a congregation. But the people who mold us and shape us and hold us accountable and love us, even though, you know, that's the church too. And so what I found in that organization was an opportunity to... Uh, you know, to, to not only fit in a way that I'd never expected before, but that was the first time that I had an opportunity for, for real leadership in, in a church place. So I, I saw the chaplain who at that time was April Renwick, who was a member of St. Stephen's in Lexington. And uh, I said, it might be fun to try to be chaplain. And so not thinking I had any shot, I filled out the application. And I'm convinced that nobody else applied. And Stephanie would never tell me yes or no. But the next year, I ended up being chaplain of LCY. And so let's talk about that as a formative experience. So as a, as a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to, to be able to write devotions, to be able to, to share scripture with my friends, and, and together we interpreted scripture together. I mean, this was like sermon practice, right? And one of the things that I, that I figured out there is that you don't have to be fancy. You, you don't have to use big words. You, you don't have to use deep theological concepts, even though I guarantee you that youth talk about more deep theology than almost any other group in the church. You know, what, what really translates is relationship. What really translates is place. What really translates is belonging. Now, I kind of joked that what I didn't know about being the LCY chaplain is eventually that would be my career. You know, because I've, I've stuck with youth ministry, and I feel like right now that's a big part of what it means to be assistant to the bishop for South Carolina is that I also am the professional LCY chaplain. But there's also another piece that is so important about understanding not just youth ministry and how it is we welcome youth, but what it means to be a part of the church. In all three lessons today, we hear something that probably strikes very deep in our hearts we hear in Isaiah him saying, you know, I'm not worthy for this. And then the angel comes and sticks a live pole on his tongue and says, now you are, right? And so I want to point out that we're lucky. Isaiah got a hot coal. We get cold water. This is definitely a change that's an improvement, right? And in the gospel today, we have Peter who bows down at the feet of Jesus and says, I'm not worthy. And, and Jesus says to him, do not be afraid which is the sign of divine presence. When you hear someone say, do not be afraid, that is God with us, right? That is the presence of God that has come near. 
you're now going to fish for people. And we also hear another, another story of someone who, you know, was, was feeling like an outsider, who was feeling unworthy. And, and this is one that always hits me right in the therapy issues because, it, you know, one of the things that I've always struggled with is this feeling of self-worth, this feeling of worthiness. You know, as I was discerning my call for ministry, which I started young, I remember being a youth and at five years old in St. John's Lutheran Church in Hollywood, Florida, where I saw one of the Trexlers, who was the pastor there, celebrating communion and thinking to myself, you know, I could do that maybe one day. And so my, my call to ministry, my sense of ministry call runs, runs long. But the thing that always prevented me from following it for a long time was I didn't feel like I was good enough because I knew who I was. I knew I was the guy who clicked the pen. I knew I was the guy with a sharp tongue. I knew I was the guy for whom sarcasm was my dialect. You know, I knew I was the person that had an answer for everything, whether I was right or not. I knew I was the person who liked to argue. You know, all these things about myself that I know and all these times that, that I did that thing that I think a lot of us do, comparing my worst to everybody else's best and seeing all these good church people who had it all together Sunday after Sunday, all these good people and good pastors who seemed to be doing everything right. And, and I knew what my heart looked like. And I hear the words of Paul, one who was untimely born, the least of the apostles. And on the one hand, I, I never thought I was the worst person in the world, but certainly being a good church person wasn't something that I ever felt like I could do, right? And as we, as we hear these stories today, I think that something in these stories of feeling like we're on the outside, of, of feeling like there's something within us that just doesn't fit in, of feeling like all these people around us have it all together, and they really know what's going on but me. And, you know, it, it runs so deep that there are moments that as we're doing confession and I have the opportunity to be the one leading the service and we're all saying, you know, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And then we get to the absolution. And I say as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There are those dark moments in my life where I look out and I see God's forgiveness working through the congregation and wondering whether that forgiveness can work in my heart too. I don't think I'm the only one who's had that experience in life. And then we look at the people that God calls into ministry. We look at the people that God calls to be leaders in the church. We look at the people that Jesus called as, the, as his disciples. Now, remember way back at the beginning, I said that Jesus was in church a lot. And we talked about that good times, bad times, Jesus was in church because that's where Jesus was compelled to be, in his father's house. But Peter, James, and John were fishermen. If you've ever been on a boat, then you might know what kind of language happens on a boat. If, you know... Fishermen fished naked back then, by the way, just in case you didn't realize that. You know, there, there's a wonderful image for you that you can take home to lunch. You know, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. And we think about Matthew, who was a tax collector. And, and even now, the IRS is one of our most popular governmental agencies, right? And so we begin to think about who these people are that Jesus calls into ministry. And these are not the good church people 
that, that we would expect. Jesus is not calling the altar guild or the ushers to be, to be the disciples. Jesus is calling the people who feel like they don't belong to follow him. And we hear some of Jesus' strongest critiques be of the, of the good church people. So we, we hear this. And so for those of us who grow up in the church and for those of us who live in the church, what does this mean for us? If, if Jesus is calling people from outside the church to be leaders, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't calling us as well. It reminds us of where the ministry that we're called to really exists. Yes, within these doors. Yes, with our shut-ins. Yes, with the leadership. Yes, with the way that we do the mission of the church that we do week in, week out, day in, day out, year in, year out. Yes, with all those people who we know and we love. How many people do we know in the neighborhood next door? How, how well do we know the people who shop in the stores around us? How, how well do we know the communities of the people who have moved in and moved out and moved through and moved on and who live there now? To see who it is that Jesus calls through the gospel is not an indictment of the church or saying that the church is bad just because Jesus spends a lot of time outside of it. But it is a reminder that those of us who see and experience and hear and dwell in and live in and have been named in the church as part of the family of God, as part of the people who are being set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our mission isn't here, but our mission is out there. And our mission is in the world that needs so desperately to hear that they have a place for the people who are lonely, for the people who are broken, for the people who believe that there's nobody who cares about them, for the people whose history is all too well known by everybody they know, who need to hear every day the love of God that sets us free. So as we go out from this place this week, and we think about the way 32,000 people descending on a, synod, or on, a, on a city like Houston or like Atlanta or like Detroit or like New Orleans twice or like Minneapolis in 2021. And, and the economic benefit and the joy of seeing all those people gathering to do service projects and all the rest of it. You know, think about the impact that we can have on the people around us here. And as... As we spend time thinking about what does it mean to be this congregation, as, as we prepare for a new pastor eventually, as we prepare for, for new ministries that may come up, as we prepare for the leadership that these youth will bring and they do bring already, as, as we hear the voice of Jesus calling out to us in those spaces where we don't think the voice of God can ever reach because we're so ashamed that they're there, how is it that our lives and our ministry and our mission brings that light and love and promise to the world that needs to hear it. You are a people who have been called with a purpose, for a purpose, for the sake of the world that God loves. How is it that you can live that out? Amen.